listening to the Miracle Word Podcast. We believe that the Word of God gives you the power to experience never-ending increase in every area. If you're ready for revelation that will take you to the next level, you're in the right place. Here's your host, evangelist, author, and founder of Miracle Word University, Ted Shuttlesworth, Jr. Today, I wanted to give you this, and I'm sure you saw it uh, in the description, but this kind of hit me today. Seven destructive things that you should never do at your church. Seven destructive things that you should never do at your church. Um, I'm going to get into I'm going to get into the seven, but I want to start in the book of Colossians if you have your Bible, because I want to give you two passages from the book of Colossians that will kind of solidify what we're talking about today. So we're going to start in Colossians chapter one, and then we're going to jump over to Colossians chapter three, and, and I'll show you uh, the difference between the two. So beginning with uh, Colossians chapter 1, let me just read um, two verses of Scripture, starting with verse 15. So this is Colossians 1, 15 and 16. The Bible says, he, it's speaking of Jesus here in context, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, I get this last phrase, all things were created through him and for him. So right there, remember this, all things were created through Jesus, but all things were created for Jesus. So that means that even us, We who were created by him are created for him. And in fact, that'd be a great thing to start putting in the comments at the beginning of this broadcast. I was created for Christ, not just by Christ, uh, not just to exist, but I'm created for him, for his purpose, for his glory. So then we jump over to Colossians chapter three, same book, two chapters later in the letter. And look what Paul writes. Now, let me give you a heads up. That's why I'm starting in... uh, the 22nd verse, Colossians 3, 22. There's my friend, Rob. Love you, man. Uh, Colossians 3, 22 through 25. Get this now. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Now, let me just stop and say, bond servants, uh, and that word in the Greek there, doulos, it doesn't just mean uh, those who are in the service of another in the natural realm, uh, Paul referred to himself as a bond servant of Christ. John the Revelator referred to himself as a bond servant of Christ. So those of us that have come into the kingdom of God, those of us that are in the body of Christ, every one of us is a bond servant of Christ. And so I would apply these same things to myself, to you, to anyone that belongs to Jesus. This, uh, this passage, we're in Colossians chapter three, verses 22 through 25. Listen now, verse 23 says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Remember, I was created for him. You were created for him. 
the first Colossians scripture was Colossians 1, verses 15 and 16. The second Colossians scripture, Colossians 3, 22 through 25. Uh, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there's no partiality. So we are servants of Christ. We're bond servants of Christ. So everything we do is for him. And I don't care what it is you do in the kingdom. You might think it's insignificant. You might think it's small. But in all reality, the Bible says you are doing it for Jesus Christ. You're not doing it for a man or a boss. Whatever you do, whatever your hands find to do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. So I want to go into these seven things that you should never do at your church. Seven destructive things that you should never do at your church. And you can see the direction I'll be going once we start, but put them in the comments. Number one, the very first thing that you should never do at your church that is destructive is to refuse to volunteer at your church. To refuse to volunteer at your church. So so put that in the comments. If you're a member of that church, if you're a part of that body, it's the church you attend. It is destructive to refuse to volunteer your time, your service, your talent at your church. That's that's the first one. Now, I'm going to go down through these and we're going to talk about uh, the destructive things that happen as you are a servant of God and uh, a bond servant of Christ that we're doing everything to and for the Lord, uh, not for men. So the first thing is to not volunteer, to refuse to volunteer in your church. It's destructive to refuse your time, your talent, your energy. Well, why is that? As a part of your church, you are a part of the vision of that church. You're a part of the call of that church. If God's placed you there, then you're a part of the vision. And remember this, the vision does not all fall upon the pastor and the associate pastor and the youth pastor, uh, or the pastor's wife. The call of that body, that thrust of that vision, it is actually on everyone that's a part of that vision. Now, of course, the pastor is the head of the church that uh, the local assembly, God's placed him there. And so whether or not they fulfill their purpose will fall on his shoulders. He's responsible as the leader But remember, it's not just a vision God's given him. But if you have attached yourself to the vision, it's on you as well. So it's not just up to the pastor to fulfill the vision, but every one of us that are a part of the church, it falls upon us as well to be a part of what the church is doing and to give our time, our talent, uh, and our energy to support the work of God. And there are people that, uh, they'll, they'll just, they'll just go, they'll just attend. You can tell they're not tied in. You can tell they're not connected. They'll show up, you know, once every three, four weeks, but they're really not connected to the church. They're not connected to the body. And so you can see it. They, they don't do anything to step up and to help, to be a part of what the church is doing. They just come in, get their, uh, spiritual meal and they go home. You may see them next week. You may not, but we're called, and I'm talking about if you're part of the victory tribe, any full, fully committed believer is called to be a part of what God's doing. Not just to receive, but to give. You've got to give of yourself. You've got to give of your time. 
Your church should never be desperately seeking volunteers because nobody's volunteering their time. We should be people that are fully supportive of the vision of the church. Now, as a, uh, as a traveling evangelist, I am gone almost all the time. And so I could never be, and of course I'm in the ministry, but I could never be a faithful volunteer at my church. They would never know when to put me on the schedule. I'm gone almost always. But I make sure that we give like ridiculously to support what the church is doing. We make sure that we sow like every year far more than the last. But see, if you're there every week, if you're not in the full-time ministry doing the work of God as your job, then you should without question be a part of what the uh, church is doing. Ed said, don't be a pew potato. It's a good way to, it's a good way to say it. I've never heard that before. Don't be a pew potato. And so watch this now as we are volunteering, as we are a part of the vision of the church, let me give you these other six things that that's now a given, right? That's a given. I'm a part of my church. I'm volunteering at my church. And now these other six things, I want to get them into your spirit, remembering that we do everything as unto Christ, as unto God. And so now we've made up our minds. We're going to give our time, talent, and energy. That's number one. But the number two, the second destructive thing that you can do at your church once you're a volunteer now, and this is going to sound weird because you always hear the opposite, but the second destructive thing is to own your ministry. And I'll explain what I mean by that. To own your ministry. Put it in the comments. Second destructive thing, to own your ministry. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, When you become a part of any department of your church, I don't care what it is, you're a part of the youth department, you're a part of the kids department, you're a part of the ushers, the greeters, the worship team, the media team, the parking lot team, I don't care what it is, but the thing that becomes destructive to the vision of the church, to the body of the church, is to start to own your ministry. And what I mean by that is, not that you shouldn't be doing that with the vision of that ministry, but what happens is people get caught, they get so caught up in the identity of that ministry that it becomes who they are and then they shut out all the other ministries and all the other things that are happening within the church. So for example, let's say you were a part of, um, let's say the, uh, the youth ministry. And the kids' ministry is putting on a VBS at the church. And you come and say, well, I'm not going to that. You know, I'm not, I'm not part of the kids' department. I'm part of the youth department. You know, so I, I, only, I only participate in youth department events. People do that. People do that. And as a result, it becomes destructive to the overall church and the overall vision of the church. So get this. Please make a note of this. Get this in your spirit. It will help you forever that no single department is your ministry, comma, or semicolon, the church is your ministry. No single department is my ministry, semicolon, the church is my ministry. And I want you to put that in the comments, I want you to put it in your notes and never ever forget it. No single department is my ministry, the church is my ministry. So I don't care if the the kids are holding a VBS, we're a part of it. I don't care if the choir and the band has a special ministry somewhere in the city, we go and support it. 
I don't care. It doesn't matter what's going on. Let's say the youth have some kind of a, a car wash to raise money for missions or whatever. We're a part of it. I don't care if the women's ministry is doing it. We're a part of it. We'll support it. We may not be able to attend it as men, but we'll support it. I don't care what's going on. No single department is my ministry. The church is my ministry. So I'm not just supporting. See, because what ends up happening is it starts to bring division. And then all of a sudden, uh, we have lopsided ministry support. So we got all these people volunteering in kids. We can't get anybody for youth. We got all these people volunteering in the media team or in the worship team. We can't get anybody to, uh, as ushers and greeters. So <clears throat> no single department is your ministry. The church is your ministry. The church is your ministry. And so, you know, you say, well, I'm not going to be a, a, a greeter because I'm on the worship team. Well, let me tell you something. They may need people to help in the greeters ministry. And maybe on a Sunday when you're not in the singing or whatever it might be, you might want to volunteer your time with the greeters because no single department is your ministry. And if you have a place where everything's fully supplied, remember this, even if you are a part of one ministry, then you still support everything all of the other ministries are doing. I remember feeling like that when I was younger. And, um, I was the youth pastor, music director, whatever. And our kids department was putting on a VBS and I was not there. And pastor got a hold of me and he said, what are you doing? Where are you? I said, I'm not, uh, what do you mean? Why aren't you at the VBS representing the church? I said, well, I'm not in the kids ministry. I don't have any children that are there. He said, you get your behind to the VBS. You represent the vision. You represent the house. So you don't just cut other ministries and departments and uh, the vision of the church off because you're not uh, volunteering in that place or because you don't have a child. You support it because it's what the church is doing. And so you can see, look how this brings unity in the church. I don't care what my church is doing, I support it. I don't care what's going on, I support it. Why? Because what you're doing is you're not just picking and choosing your favorite little areas. You're supporting the vision of the entire body of the church. And so a destructive thing people do, they pick and choose their department, and then that's all they are. Well, I'm in the women's ministry, so I don't, I don't participate in anything the youth are doing. I don't participate. We don't support anything. No, no, no. The church is my ministry. The church is my ministry. So I don't care what the church is doing. I support it fully and wholeheartedly knowing I want the vision of the church to succeed. I want what God is doing through the church to succeed. And so I'm not going to pick and choose. I will not own my ministry department. I'm not in that, in that way. It doesn't mean I give my all, don't give my all to it. It means that I don't lock myself into that department and then cut off all other departments or cut off support from what all other departments are doing. We support the full vision of the church pushing forward. That's number two. Number three, the third destructive thing that you can do at your church is to refuse to delegate or understand delegation. That becomes destructive. Refusing to delegate or understanding delegation. So what do I mean by that? Well, first of all, it, the, the higher you get in a department, the more you have to delegate because you can't do everything by yourself. And if you try to do everything on, on your own and you can't release things, you personally will burn out or you will get to a place where you can't with excellence 
carry out everything that needs to be done because there's too much to be done. So first of all, understand that delegation is necessary and then properly delegate. You have to let things go. If you're going to see your church flourish, if you're going to see your teams flourish, and you're, you're a part of the volunteer department, you're doing all these things, then you might be a, a department head. You might be the head over the children's ministry or the youth or whatever. I saw Rob on earlier. He's the youth pastor, and I, and I know he, he has teams that he's built that are helping him. Well, you can't do everything. You can't do everything. The pastor, uh, for example, should not be doing every single thing in the church. The pastor cannot... Um, put together all of the volunteer bags, or excuse me, all of the visitor bags and all the visitor welcome bags and the, and the cards. And the pastor can't then go and do all the landscaping. And then the pastor can't then go and plan all the youth events. And the pastor can't get, get, go and do all the graphics for the women's ministry. You have to be able to delegate that stuff out or nothing's going to get done. And if it does, it's not going to be quality. It's not going to be quality. Because if you look at the scriptural example of the apostles in the book of Acts, they started to have issues because some of the Greek-speaking Jews started to say, listen, there's a lopsided uh, care being taken of the, of the people with the food distribution. And so the apostles said, we can't be involved in serving tables. That's not what we're called to do. How are we ever going to pray and fast and get the word of the Lord in our spirit to teach if we're running around in charge of the food distribution and in charge of the serving tables? So what did they do? They raised up anointed young men that were able to uh, do the things that needed to be done so that, watch this, they could do what they were supposed to do. And Rob, my friend, Pastor Rob Conover, makes a great point on Facebook. If you don't delegate, volunteers will stop showing up, period. Nobody's going to show up and just stand around. Because number one, they, can, they know immediately that their time's being wasted and it's frustrating. I've shown up to give my time, my talent, and my energy and no one will give me anything to do. I'm not coming again. I've, my life is too uh, busy. I've got too many things going on and that's just human nature. I'm not gonna show up and stand around and do nothing. So if you've got people, listen, capitalize on the fact that you've got people that wanna help. Capitalize on the fact. If they show up, put them to work. Put something in their hands. Give them something to do. And I don't mean just busy work. I mean give them something to do that they can use their time, talent, and energy to do. And listen, when you are a visionary, when you're somebody that is a true leader and an alpha and all that, it becomes hard to delegate because you, you have a hard time letting things go. You have a hard time letting things go. I've been there. I'm still there in some areas. I'm still trying to let every single thing go that needs to be let go but I've done my very best to do that. Well, it frees me up to do more than I, than I did before by letting other things go. And um, I think it was John Maxwell who said that when a volunteer can do something at 80% quality of what he can do it, he gives it to him. He doesn't care if they can do it 100% as well as he can. If they're at 80%, he gives it to him. I think Pastor Craig Rochelle even dropped the bar further and said, listen, if somebody can do something 60% as well as I can, I give it to them. And then you gotta let them grow. You know, are there gonna be mistakes? Yes. Yes, there will be mistakes. Are there gonna be times where they're learning? Yes, that's the whole point. They're growing in their talent. They're growing in their abilities. But they'll never grow if they don't have something to uh, cause them to grow. And so there's the deal. 
If they can do it, hand it to them. Let them grow in it. Let them perfect it. Let them get good. And then it frees the others up to do what they're supposed to be doing. Delegation is necessary. It has to be done if you're going to grow in your, in your vision, in your department. A pastor can't do everything himself and expect his church to grow. Because you can't go beyond maybe 100 people where you're doing every single thing for them. You can't. Your time's gone. You've got to have teams. And volunteers have to have teams. And there's got to be a plan. I'm going to give this. I'm going to hand this over and all this. And there should be accountability. Yes, we answer for what we've been given. There's, there's follow-up. There's, there's, there's uh, you know, accountability on those teams. But that doesn't mean you don't give anybody things. And so the third destructive thing that you can do at your church is to refuse to delegate or understand delegation. It has to be done. I've, I've been to far too many places where people are burnt out because they're doing everything. They're doing everything. You say, well, what do you, what, what's the story then if, if you can't get people to help you and, and you have to do everything? Well, one of the reasons that you may not be having people volunteer to help you is because you've not done a great job casting the vision of what you are doing. See, people are tied to vision. They're not tied to like, hey, we have to do this, so let's come in on Saturday. No, no, there's a vision and you lead by example. But many times people don't cast a proper vision and as a result, people don't wanna be a part or they don't even know it's happening. The Bible says you have not because you ask not. Maybe you've not properly asked in the right way. But maybe there's not been proper vision casting that would cause people to want to tie on and become a part of what's happening in the children's. You know, Simon Sinek wrote a great book called Start With Why. And I encourage churches to apply that. You know, why are we excited about the children's ministry? Don't just put it out there as a necessity. Well, we need more people for the children's ministry. We need more people. We don't have enough people. That's not, that's not the way to cast vision. Start with the, the why of what we're doing. We see the children as a valuable investment. We understand we're raising up the next generation of leaders. We're not just having a, a, a babysitting thing back there. We're just keep, we're babysitting your kids till the service is over. We're teaching them, training them, raising them up. We, we understand the youth are valuable, the students. We know that they're getting ready to go to college, that they're going to go away from home in some cases. They need to be built up in faith. They need to know the word. They need to be rooted and grounded in their Christianity. They need to be effective workers in the, in the harvest field. They're, they're an investment. We're raising up the next generation of Holy Ghost leaders. And so th this is valuable. We need, we need people to come in and to pour themselves into the young people. We need people to come and pour themselves into the children. We need people, you know, we're part of the worship team, but the word, it's not because we just need more singers on the platform. We are standing and bringing God's people into his presence through worship and praise. And by doing so, we're preparing the hearts of the people to receive the mighty word of God because God gives us a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. And the spirit of heaviness is the thing that causes thorns to grow up and choke out the revelation of God's word. And the more excellent we are as we engage in worship and praise, the more prepared our congregation will be to receive and produce from the word of God that's preached. See what I mean? You present the vision of the why we do what we do to, 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 to touch the hearts of people and, and bring them into that vision and prepare them to volunteer, to give their time, their talent, their energy in that department, understanding the why of what we do, not the what, not the how, 
the why. That drives people. This is why I do what I do. You know, we can always change the how, we could always change, you know, the what, but the, but the why remains. This is why we're doing it. This is what it's, what it's all about. And that vision of the why, it drives the hearts of people. And many times the, that's the reason volunteers aren't there. We've not shown them the why, we've not built the vision in their hearts. It's just like a, a thing in the bulletin, we need six people to stay after. And like, nobody wants to do it because there's nothing in their heart sparking them to be a part of what God's doing. So understand delegation and delegate. Number four, the fourth destructive thing that you can do at your church is to create factions within your teams or the church for that matter, to create factions, divisions, cliques within your teams, right? So you have, let's say you have all these different people that are volunteering as the greeters and maybe you have you know, 20 people on your greeter team that you rotate. Well, then you got some that are friends over here. They do their own thing. Some that are friends over here, they do their own thing. And then somebody starts talking about somebody else over here. Now you've got division amongst the greeters and there's issues. And so they, they don't want to serve on the same Sundays they're serving because I don't really care for her personality. And she's always, and then you got, you got factions, factions, and it's division among the same team let alone the church. You got divisions in the youth leaders. Well, you know, she's always, she's always giving me that face. Like she doesn't like what I have on. You know, whatever. Don't create factions within the teams. Be a member of the team that always brings unity. Be a member of your team that always promotes unity. You know, my, my friend said something to me recently I've never thought of before, but he said, one of his, he feels like one of his jobs is to make circles bigger. And what he means by that, and of course, he's a natural networker. But he said, you know, my, one of my goals when I go anywhere is to make circles bigger. Circles of friends, circles of networks, whatever. He said, you, did you ever notice this? He said, if, you are sta- if, ever, if you've got a group of people that are standing in a circle and talking to each other, whatever, church event, church picnic, whatever, circle of people standing and talking to each other seem to be having a good time. Notice that will draw other people, but notice if you ignore them, keep the circle closed, they might listen for a while and they'll they'll walk away. But he said, have you ever noticed this? If you'll open the circle, people will come stand in it. If you open the circle, people will come and join and add on to the circle, makes it bigger. Somebody comes over, he's like, oh yeah, I saw that. And and I, I liked that. I was watching that the other night. And then you open the circle, they come, they stand in, And what ends up happening? The group becomes larger. The group becomes larger. The group becomes larger because you keep opening the circle. So be someone on your teams that is opening the circle. That's not excluding people, but including people. And you may not even be the leader of that team. You may not be the head usher or the head greeter or the head of the youth department or children's department or worship team, but work very hard to be someone who opens the circle. Not somebody, the moment you see things being closed down to others, work against it. The moment you see somebody's attitude in that way that's judgmental, it's closed off, it's create, it's starting to create a faction, it's starting to create division, work towards it. Work towards opening the circle. If you have to talk to that person, like, hey, we don't, we don't want to be like that in our group. We don't, we don't, that's not the culture of our team. You know, we don't, we don't do that. They're a part of us. We're on their team. We support them. They support us. We love them. 
And then you do what the Bible says. If there truly is something someone has against one another, go to that person. Don't put it on uh, Facebook. Don't go out and start talking to other people about it. Go to them and settle it. Get it settled. And let your teams be full of unity. Full of unity. Anything that steals unity steals strength. Anything that steals unity steals strength. So do not allow division in your teams. Don't create factions within your teams. Now, if, now, let me just give you a word here. If you are the leader of your department, you have a great responsibility in this area to have your ear to the ground. If I see uh, that there are factions forming on my teams, if I see that there are divisions forming within my squad, I've got to go now and be the one to uh, proactively break that down. And, I don't, and if you, have, you might have a person that is a constant division maker, constant strife uh, starter, whatever. You've got to address that person because it will spread like cancer through your teams. Bold communication in love, letting them know, listen, that's not the culture of this team. We don't, we don't act like that. We don't live like that. We want everyone on this team to be on the same page with the same vision, with the same love in one unity, one heart. And so we don't allow. And I think one of the things that's helpful, and I used to do this when I was a youth pastor. I'm sure Pastor Rob does this and others that are team leaders. One of the things that I used to do uh, as a leader is that we would do events outside of youth events as a youth pastor where I just had my youth leaders. And we would do stuff with each other to build that camaraderie, build that unity. So I don't care if we went to dinner, if we went to a movie, I don't care if we went bowling, whatever it is, I'm just going to get around my other youth leaders outside of church, outside of youth service, outside of a, a youth event to where there, there are no students, it's just us. And what are we doing? I'm building my friendship, my trust, my love, my connection with my team so that they trust me, they love me, they confide in me, but I'm also building the unity of that team. I want us to get together and fellowship and hang out and become friends with one another, not just co-workers, co-laborers in the kingdom. I want to be friends with these people, uh, not so much as the leader where, you know, my, my authority's broken down and I've lost my authority with them, but I'm talking about, I want there to be camaraderie. I want there to be unity. I want there to be love. I want there to be a cohesion that's going to bring our team together. So there are no divisions. There is no factions. We break, we break that stuff up and get it out the door because we need unity to be strong. We need unity to be effective. Rob said, 100%, I do it all the time. That's the key. You, any successful leader will have a, 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 a finger on the pulse of their team and know what's up. And you'll, you'll know your team so well that you'll even know without even talking to them if something's up with them, if something's wrong. You can tell they're not acting like that they like they normally would. And some, something's bothering him. I can tell something's bothering her. And I, I maybe pull him to the side. Hey, you okay? Everything good with you? You doing all right? What can I help you with? You know, we're, we're there to serve one another. The Bible says we serve one another. So you might you might come up. Hey, what's up? Something up? You you got you everything everything good? You going through something? Talk to me. I'll pray with you. I'll help you. Whatever. We strengthen one another. But you can't do it if we don't even know one another and if we've got factions and divisions. It brings destruction. And that's why I said it's one of the seven destructive things you can do at your church is to create factions or divisions within your team, within your department, or within the church period. 
You got to get that stuff out the door as quickly as humanly possible. All right. Um, number five. This is a big one. Are you ready for this? The fifth destructive thing you can do at your church is to serve without receiving. Number five, it's destructive, to serve without receiving. I see this happen often, often. Especially for churches that have multiple services. And even in churches that don't. Because like, here's what happens, right? You got, you got two services, and so what people do is that they'll usher, or they'll greet, or whatever. They're on the worship, whatever it might be. They're in the kids' department. They will go to that service and serve on the team that they're called to serve on. Service ends, and they go home. They go home. And, and w- one thing that's very important, and I mean very important, is that there should be services where you are not serving you are just sitting and receiving. You're just in the congregation, listen, worshiping with the worship team, listening to your pastor preach, receiving the word of God, and being built up. Absolutely. It is dangerous and destructive to always serve without receiving. Always. Because what ends up happening is you get into burnout. Because you're always working, always working, never receiving the spiritual fuel necessary to keep going in what you're called to do. And I see it happen all the time. In fact, uh, our church shut it down. They shut it right down. Because when we were at multiple services, as soon as we moved into our building, this new building we're in, um, we saw it happening on the serve, the serve teams. That there were people that were showing up for the first service, serving in their place, and then just going home. And they come the next week, they serve, and they go home. No. And they would just flat out told them, if you serve in the first service, you will stay and receive in the second service. If you serve, and then when they switched it to, they had like a, you know, a Saturday night and Sunday morning for a short time. If you served Saturday night, you were in the service Sunday morning receiving. If you were gonna serve Sunday morning, you sat and received on Saturday night. It's, it's dangerous to always serve without receiving. And people get caught up in that. They'll do their thing and they'll go home. Well, listen, if you were in the kids department for the whole service, you weren't sitting and receiving anything. So it's the same as you might as well not even go to church because you're not receiving, you're not being built up by the word that's being preached. You're not sitting there. It's not the same thing. Serving is not the same as receiving. Put that in the comments. Serving is not the same as receiving. And so just because you're at church in the building doing some job, it's not the same as receiving what you're supposed to receive as a believer. So don't burn yourself out serving and never receiving, serving and never receiving, right? And it's, it's important to think like this because I've watched it. People burn out to the place where they, they don't even want to go to church anymore. I've seen, now here's crazy thing. I've seen people leave a church because what ends up happening is there are some churches that again, watch this. I'm going to show you an example of a dangerous snowball effect in churches. So churches need help, but then the churches don't cast proper vision, and so nobody signs up to help. And so then you have people that are already helping 
that since no one else is signing up to help, they just literally beat the crap out of those volunteers. They do everything. They do everything. They never sit to receive. And then on the other side of that, watch this, you've got uh, leaders that might be in there that don't even, they don't even properly delegate all the things we're talking about. So now you've got nobody new signing up to help because there's no vision being casted. Uh, and then on top of that, the ones you've already got are just being burnt out, used over and over and over and over. They never get to receive. And they're so tired of always working and never getting anything. They're like, you know what? I'm just, I just want to go to a church where I can sit and receive and just not always be running. I'm telling you it happens. It happens all the time. People get to a boiling point and then they're out because they don't want to just go and just be burnt out all the time. I'm at every single, and, and, and the problem is it's a dangerous snowball. Yes. And then they do get resentful and it's a dangerous snowball. That church just used me. All they did was use me. Well, that's the reason they feel that way is because there's not a proper system going on where you're casting vision, you're invested in what's going on in the, in the church and in the vision, more people are joining on and then you don't have to burn people out. You say, well, we don't have that many people at our church to, to go through with volunteers. That's because evangelism's not primary in your church. So you've got nobody getting saved. You've got nobody added to the church. And as a result, you've got the same people that you're just burning over every week. People should be added to the church. Evangelism should happen. People should be coming in. Assimilation teams should make those people a part of the church. Even if you only keep 10 to 15% of those that come through the church, people should be added to the church. And then as people are added to the church, they should catch the vision and the, and the vision is caught and they jump in and become a part of the why. And then you're not burning the same people over again and again and again. That's why every, see, I'm, I'm showing you this because I want you to see that's why every single part of the church process is vitally important. You cut evangelism out of your church, no soul winning. Now you've got no new families coming in. Now you've got the same group of people just over and over and over and over. If you've got no assimilation at your church after there's evangelism, new people might come, they don't stick, they're gone. They're gone. And so now that they're gone, what ends up happening? You still have the same problem, burning over the same people over and over and over and over till they leave. And then there's no why, there's no vision cast. Well, then you got nobody joining the serve teams and then you got problems because you're burning the same volume there's over and over and over and over. Nobody's receiving, they get burnt out, they leave. So it's a destructive cycle where you've got people coming in, but they leave because there's such a, there, there's such a poor administration of the vision of God that nobody, that nobody uh, sticks around. And it happens all over America because people don't understand these very basic principles. So don't ever serve without receiving. And that doesn't mean you go home and listen to a video. You should be in your church receiving from your pastor who has your vision that you're attached to. Amen. Let him lay hands on you. Whatever, whatever's happening, let it happen to you. But don't just serve all the time and miss out. Number six, are you ready for this one? Here's a big one. Don't create a department culture that differs from the vision. Don't create a department culture that differs from the vision. <laughs> This, this is something that, this, this will help you. So, <laughs> I've seen, okay, for example, let's say you're the youth pastor. And you go to a church, somehow you ended up at a church 
where you may, may even differ from the pastor a little bit in what he believes, right? Your pastor, let's say for example, your pastor isn't totally sold, which I don't know why you'd go to this church, but it happens. I mean, people are just looking for a job in ministry, so they get put in a church. So let's say you, your pastor is not f- fully sold on the idea of the, that God heals everybody and it's his will, will to heal everybody and, uh, and then, you know, laying hands on the sick and seeing miracles and signs and wonders, whatever it might be. But then you get up in your youth ministry and you sit there and, now I know pastor doesn't believe in this, but I'm going to tell you the Bible teaches it. What are you doing? You're automatically creating uh, division. If you, don't, if you don't agree with the fundamental doctrines of your pastor, it's probably either a time to find another church, but you don't create divisions in the church. You don't speak against your leadership. Um, if you go out and you start to see that uh, part of what you're doing in your department, it, it breaks with the culture of the church. See, you don't, you don't t- and this is, again, going back to doing your own thing versus doing what the church body is called to do, right? The church body is called to do. Well, I've, you know, you, you can't, for example, though you may be put in charge of a ministry, you can't change the vision of the whole church through your ministry. Meaning, you can't go off and start deciding that this, our church is going to go in this direction because I really enjoy this. I really feel like we're supposed to do this. And then you're now guiding the pastor's vision through, you know, the men's ministry or guiding the pastor's vision through the children's ministry. No, that's not how it works. The ministries, the department ministries are there to serve the central vision of the church, the central vision of the church. And you don't differ from the central vision of the church or create a culture that differs from that vision. So I don't care what it is. I don't care how great it sounds. If, if it's not a part of the central vision of the church, then we don't do it. We don't do it. And, and one of the problems that we have where you've got people running in every different direction is that you start having people that, that jump in and feel like, well, and, and this is why I have a hard time with, and I've preached against it, and I know people laugh at me and call me old-fashioned, but remember something, there's only one pastor of a church. There's only one pastor of a church, and that's the senior pastor. And um, that's the reason that I'm hardcore on that is because um, I believe in singular leadership. Anything with more than one head is a monster. Anything with more than one head is a monster. So I don't give the, I don't flippantly throw the title pastor around to everybody. You know, you go to some churches, everybody's a pastor. I don't understand that. This is our graphics pastor. This is our children's pastor. This is a, you know, this is our youth pastor. This is our parking lot pastor. This is our women's pastor. It's like, what the, what the heck does that even mean? Are you pastoring the graphics? Are you literally, do you have the graphics sitting in a little pew and you're speaking into the graphics lives? How are you a parking lot pastor? Are you preaching to the parking spaces? I want every parking space to just lift your hands today as we enter into worship. Like what is a parking lot pastor? What is a graphics pastor? What's a media pastor? You know, it's like, and in our church, one of the things that they began to do, which I think is totally scriptural, is that they'll, and I'm not trying to be a stickler on just phrases, but it does, people do have an issue with authority. And um, they just, like in the Bible, they'll call people ministers. This is, our, this is a youth minister. You know, he, but you know what? You don't have to be a minister in the parking lot. Just be on the parking lot team. You don't have to be a pastor. He, 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 he heads up our parking lot team. You don't have to be a pastor. 
He heads our media team. This is the head of our, of our graphics team. This is the head of the, our, our youth department. He's a youth minister. You know, there's one pastor, and that's the pastor that God's placed in the church. He's the leader. The board is not the leader. That's not scriptural. The, the, the church is not led by a board. First of all, the Christian church is led by Christ, and he's not run by a board. He sets pastors in the churches. They make decisions. They're not led by a board. That's the New Testament church way. A board is fine for uh, advisory. They can give you advice. They can give you direction, guidance. They can give you, but they're not called to run the vision of a church. The pastor is called to run the vision of the church. And so he has a singular vision given to him by God to do what he's called to do. Everybody's not a pastor and everybody can't take control of their department and do whatever they want with it. That's not how it works. That's not how it functions. They, every department is there to serve the ministry of the local church. And the pastor's the head of that local assembly under Christ himself. And so we don't create a, a vision or a culture in our department that differs from that of our local assembly. It would be out of line. It creates division. It creates disunity. And then destruction comes. Well, I, felt, I always felt we were supposed to do this. And then what's up happen? People get all messed up. They get offended. They're mad. They leave the department. Well, he, he just wouldn't let me stretch my wings. You know, people are, people are dumb, man. They get, they get dumb with it. It's not your ministry. You are a volunteer. You are serving the Lord in that department. We're doing it as unto the Lord. It's not a time for you to get a spotlight and get the glory. And pe- that's how people are by human nature, unless they're corrected and taught, which leads us to number seven which is the seventh destructive thing you can do at your church is to refuse correction from your leadership or become easily offended. The seventh thing that will destroy the departments, destroy you, is to refuse correction from your leadership and become easily offended. Get, just get that out of your life as soon as, uh, as possible. I mean, Truly, if you, if you don't understand offense, if you don't understand this attribute where people are refusing correction and they're easily offended, it is a clear sign of spiritual immaturity. A clear sign of spiritual immaturity. And it absolutely is. Mature people are looking for correction. Mature Christians are seeking out correction. They want to be corrected because they know that correction is just direction. It sets you on tra- track for success. That's what correction does. It's exactly what it does. So wise people, mature people, are looking for correction. And so don't be the person that refuses correction and gets easily offended. And then you know what's so stupid? Is that you'll have people that will leave a church because they got corrected and then they'll go to some other place and say, well, you know, I, I really was, I, I, I suffered through church abuse. You know what the church abuse was? They got corrected and didn't receive it. And they didn't like it. And they left. That's not church abuse. That is you being in rebellion to the spiritual authority that God's placed in a church. That, has, that is not abuse at all. You know. So Sister Karen, with her golf bag full of prophetic flags and her spandex outfit that the pastor asked her not to wear and run across the front with a victory banner, you know, in the middle of worship so that all eyes go from worshiping Christ to Sister Karen's spandex outfit and her victory flag that she made at home from Hobby Lobby, 
you know, that's, pastor says, listen, you're being a distraction in the worship service. We're going to ask you not to do that. Don't come down here and do all your, and then, oh, I was a, you know, pastor, he didn't appreciate my spiritual gifts. Go to another church where they're just let everybody do whatever they want to do because the pastor's spineless and doesn't have enough authority to, to speak correction to people that need correction and then lets that spirit of pride run all over the church because they want to be seen. I, I suffered spiritual abuse. You didn't suffer spiritual abuse. You're a rebel and you won't take any correction. You do whatever you want to do and you'll be destroyed because of it. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Pride's a killer. Humility and meekness are the avenues of inheritance and increase. And so people have an issue because they won't submit to spiritual authority. And it has nothing to do with being spiritually abused. They wouldn't let me stretch my, my prophetic wings at that church. You don't have prophetic wings. You don't have prophetic wings. And so the problem is, and this will destroy you in the midst of what you're called to do. Remember that. Because if you're called to that church, if you're called to that department, you've stepped up and you've, you've volunteered your time. You're there once again, serving the vision. I'm serving the vision. I'm serving the vision. I'm there as a bond servant, someone who has chosen to be a servant of that master. I'm a bond servant. That's exactly biblical language. You know, you see it sometimes translated in an older translation, Paul, a slave of Christ. I am John, a slave of Jesus Christ to all the other slaves of Christ. That word is the word uh, bond servant, but it does not mean a slave that somebody has taken you into slavery. A bond servant, if you study the history of it, is someone who chose that after their debts were paid off, after they had served until they didn't owe the master anything else, they loved the family so much that they decided to stay on with the family for the rest of their life as a bond servant because they got so attached to the family, they loved them, they didn't want to leave them. That's what a bond servant is. And that's truly what Paul was saying and John, I'm a bond servant of Christ. He didn't harshly take me into slavery. I love him. I want to be a part of his family. I want to serve him. That's what we are. We are bond servants of Christ. And we want to be a part of his vision. We want to be a part of the department. We want to volunteer our time. That's exactly what we want to do. And so what am I going to do? Getting all pride out of my spirit, all haughtiness. I'm not going to allow that to be in my life. And on top of that, I want to be teachable. I want correction. I want to be meek. I want to know how I could do better. How could I serve the vision better? We should be asking questions. What can I do better? How can I serve the vision better? How can I be more effective? How can, is there any, anything else you could see that I could do that would be, that make your job easier? Those are the kind of people that you want around you. People that are mature enough to understand that I could continue to increase. I can continue to do better. I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I'm going to be in Jesus' name. I'm not where I used to be, but I'm not where I'm going to be in Jesus' name. It's important to remember that David the king, before he was the actual king, but after he was anointed to be the king by Samuel, guess where he went? Knowing I'm the next king of Israel. Did he go to the castle? Did he go, to the, did he, did he go up and start sitting next to Saul? No. What did he do? Went right back to the sheep. Went right back to the sheep. I'm anointed to be king. I'm going right back to the sheepfold. I'm going right back to the stinky animals, leading them. They're, they're people, they, they, they go off. They get lost. They go, I'm, just, I'm out there being a shepherd, even though I'm anointed to be the king. I've got an anointing. I've got a potential, but I'm willing to serve. 
That's what made David great. Man after God's own heart. He knew what he was anointed to do, but he was never too big to do the small thing. Now, you do get to the place where you can't do every small thing. Again, that's delegation. But notice his heart. I'll never allow who I'm called to be, my potential, my, my anointing. I'll never allow that to make me so prideful that I can't do what I'm asked. Never. Now, I want to pray for you today because God's anointing the Victory Tribe to be, I'm, I believe this, you'll, you will be the most productive members of your churches. As you're a part of this Victory Tribe, you'll be the most productive members of your churches in Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every person that's watching, every person that's listening on the podcast. And Lord, if there, if there was any pride, if there was any haughtiness in their spirit, let it be driven out today by the power of the Holy Ghost. I pray in Jesus' name that you would strengthen them, that you would give them a spirit of humility and meekness. I pray that you would use them in their own church to do the things they're called to do, that that church vision may flourish and explode. I pray that souls would come in from every direction. I pray in Jesus' name that those souls would be discipled and that those souls would be taken care of and raised up to also be uh, productive members of the kingdom of God in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray you give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Let us understand the best way to do things we've never even done before in your mighty name. I pray that you'd use us in this year of 2022 to do things we've never done by the power of your spirit. Give us the grace. Give us the wisdom by the power of your Holy Spirit. This is our year of divine possession. We'll do what we've never done. We'll go where we've never gone. We'll have what we've never had in Jesus' name. Use us mightily for your glory. We thank you for it. We give you praise and we give you glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. On this Friday, I'm going to challenge you to sow a seed into this ministry. We've been in revival nonstop this year. I didn't even expect it to be this much, but we said, well, we're going to do a little bit, a few less revivals and more strategically placed. We've been running nonstop since January and we're running again starting tomorrow. So I want to encourage you to sow a seed into good ground. And that is a seed into a ministry that is doing everything they can to touch the loss before it's too late. And of course, you guys know we're on TV around the world. We're traveling nonstop, media nonstop, everything we can do to see people changed by the power of God. You are a part of that. And I want to encourage you to partner with us if you never have. Partner with this ministry on a monthly basis. What is it that you could do every month as you pray for us, but sow a seed? What could you do that would make a difference in somebody else's life? For the month of uh, May, which is coming to an end, for those that are partnering with us uh, at $1,000 or more this month, we're going to send you three things to say thank you. Dr. Rodney Howard Brown's book, The Gifts of the Holy Spirit, Brother Hagen's book, The Triumphant Church, and the Net Study Bible with 60,000 translators' notes. For those that are partnering at $250 or more, we still want you to have those two books as our way of saying thank you. Those that are sewing, partnering, um, maybe you're going to sew $100, $85 this month. Um, once you've given, go to miracleword.com forward slash offer so that we know how you gave and your address that we can send uh, these gifts to to say our thank you to you as well. And I love you very much. Last night, we had our very first Q&A for the Bible Study Made Simple group, which has been amazing. We had almost 350 students sign up to be a part of Bible Study Made Simple. And we already have 50 some, I think 50 or just over 50 students that are on the wait list to get in for the fall 
edition of Bible Study Made Simple. If you would like to be a part of the upcoming registration for Bible Study Made Simple this fall, and you want to be on the wait list to be notified, because we only keep it open for about 10 days, uh, and then we close it up again so that we can go through these together. Uh, but if you want to be on that wait list, go to uh, bible.miracleword.com. bible.miracleword.com. And um, sign up to be on the wait list. You can see everything that we're doing within that course, uh, the purpose of it, what you'll get out of it. And uh, it's very affordable, very inexpensive to be, to be a part of the group. Uh, I think, we're on, what is it, $15 a month? $15 a month to be a part. You get videos every week. Uh, we interact in the private Facebook group. If you want to be a part in the fall, sign up on the wait list. Uh, Liz is asking, is Jenna still making calls for the partner luncheon? Absolutely. Coming up, we have another Victory Tribe homecoming weekend. Jenna's making calls to those of you that are partners with us uh, to come and be a part of that. Uh, and it's not too late. Uh, you can still become a partner with us and join us for the Victory Tribe homecoming weekend uh, this coming fall. We're going to be in the same spot, same church, same hotel, and I am looking forward to it because we have some big announcements that we want you to be a part of. Uh, some of the biggest things we've ever done, I cannot wait to share it with you. So uh, if those of you that are partnering, you'll get a call, you'll be able to register. We want to see you there. It's going to be great. I love you. Carolyn will be back today, 2 o'clock p.m., for Friday favorites. Uh, don't miss it. I love you so much. Have a powerful weekend. I'll talk to you very soon. Now that's the stuff leaders should be made of.